You're listening to Stimulus Tech Talk, a conversation-based podcast created by Stimulus Technologies that covers a range of topics related to business and technology. Nathan Whitaker, CEO of Stimulus Technologies, and this is Stimulus Tech Talk. And we're very excited to invite back on Leah Shilabad, one of our first guests on Stimulus Tech Talk. And uh, welcome, Leah. Hi, thank you for having me here today. So Leah is the CEO and CSO of Compliancy IT, which you just recently went through a rebranding of your website and I better know, or of your company, and I better know Leah as the IT princess of power. We've known each other for quite a few years. Um, She's also the author of Cyber Warfare, Protecting Your Business from Total Annihilation. And she's co-produced and starred in a documentary, Cybercrime, The Dark Web Uncovered. Leia is a security advisor, especially around CMMC and a lot of different compliance. And I'm excited to have her on to talk about some new rules about CMMC that have recently come out. And so welcome, Leia. And uh, let's let's talk a little bit about compliance first. What uh, What is compliance? Could you, you know, in your words, you know, to somebody that doesn't know technology or doesn't know the IT space, you know, CEO of a, of a manufacturer, somebody that works with the Department of Defense, why, what, is, what does compliance mean to a small to mid-sized business? That's a great question. So um, when we're talking about compliance, we're talking about creating a set of standards or controls and aligning the organization to those standards, specifically when we're talking about cybersecurity compliance that address cybersecurity or increasing security in the organization. Now, those a compliance requirement can be um, external pressure. So regulations like CMMC, like the DFAR 72 clause, like HIPAA and uh, like the FTC safeguard requirements. So it can be external pressure on the organization to implement these requirements. And then there's also internal pressure at times. So what's important for the organization, like um, assessing the business risk and uh, what kind of information that you need to protect, what kind of processes and people are important to protect, and then creating your own standards or your own controls to address that business risk. So it sounds to me like compliance is not an IT problem. It's more an administrative and business problem. Would you say that? Absolutely. I mean, um, it's it's all about managing your business's risk. And clearly, if you have an external regulatory requirement from some agency um, and you don't implement it, um, then that's a risk to your organization. Uh, you could lose contracts. You could be you could have fines. Um, so uh, absolutely. And um, and then when you're talking about internally, it is also a business decision identifying uh, where is the risk in your organization creating those standards and then aligning them to decrease your risk. Now, these outside regulatory companies or organizations, whether it's governmental or, you know, an outside company that requires this compliance, um, when they're putting that pressure on an organization, does that mean that the organization is devoid of risk once they achieve that compliance? Or is there still some risk that occurs if they're if they're meeting all the compliance or regulatory compliance requirements? There will always be risk in business. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, you and I started our own companies. That was a big risk. 
continuing to run the company is a big risk, right? We've got all these people we have to employ and make sure they get paid, you know? Um, and what happens when, you know, we have, there's a lawsuit or, I mean, there's, there's a always risk when you're operating an organization. The however is that there are always ways to be able to decrease your risk. If you don't talk about your risk to start with, then a lot of those things can be uh, sort of invisible to you. Sort of like, well, we're not talking about it maybe it doesn't really exist. And that's why it's important for every organization to assess what their risk is in operating their business and then to determine how they're going to treat it. Are they going to address it by mitigating it and making some changes? Um, are that you going to transfer your risk to an external company? Um, are you going to avoid doing the thing that's causing you risk? That happens a lot with safety, right? We have risks in manufacturing plants associated with safety. There are things we can just not do and we can say safe. And, uh, and then there, you could also choose to accept the risk. You understand this could happen. You understand the impact on the organization. And you're still going to say, I'm going to accept that this might happen and the repercussions. Now, when you have external regulatory requirements, accepting the risk of not implementing those requirements is a really big risk to your organization. And I would not recommend it. So you're saying that sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich isn't the best way to move forward with compliance or, or risk mitigation. Correct. <laughs> uh, but we find a lot of businesses do that, right? It's it's, you know, I we're too small. We don't know, you know, what we're supposed to do. You know, I got this letter and I'm just going to ignore it. You know, a lot of companies ignore that. So what have you seen over the years of working with uncompliance of what are the ultimate potentialities of avoidance of compliance? Um, so I have talked to some companies that sort of joked about, you know, getting letters about requirements and they just kind of like, ah, oh, ha, 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 you know, and threw it in the trash can, which for me, I was sort of, you know, quite taken aback by because that, that, that can massively impact your, your company and you, you do want your company to stay in business. Um, it's your biggest asset as a business owner. Um, to be able to, your, your, the companies that you own. If you decide that you don't want to um, comply with regulator regulations, then depending on who the regulations come down from, then there can be a lot of different consequences. Um, there, can, Like I mentioned before, fines can be levied um, and uh, or you can lose contracts. Now they say, well, how are they going to even find out? Some regulations require that you report that you're doing those things or at the minimum require a self-attestation, which is a legal document that you sign and say, I attest we are doing this. And then at that time, you're making a false claim if you are actually not doing that thing. So with working with the federal government, we actually have a false claims act um, that if an organization makes any kind of representation about what they're going to do with the federal government and they don't do those things, that's considered a false claim. You lose your contract and there's lots and lots of fines associated with that. Currently, there are hundreds of false claim cases in backlog with the Department of Justice. That's how many claims have been made about organizations that um, made a statement about what they were doing and that they're actually not doing it. So um, like the Department of Justice takes this very seriously. And, and it could end up with jail time even for the owners and operators of the company. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a significant risk. Yes. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about CMMC. So um, let us 
Tell us, tell the audience what CMMC is, because we often throw out acronyms and nobody understands what we're talking about. So what is CMMC? Sure. <laughs> so CMMC is my absolutely favorite thing to talk about in the whole world. That's why we're here today. So uh, and it stands for the uh, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. That's where all the letters come. So it came to be uh, because uh, way back in the day, uh, I think it was in around like uh, 2013, uh, there was a requirement for um, contractors who hold some of the government's information, which is called CUI. Well, the, this information is called CUI. It's specific information, controlled, unclassified information. And when you have that information, uh, you're required to implement certain safeguards for it because it doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to the federal government. And the C and CUI program is for um, all agencies. It's not just DOD. So CUI exists throughout the federal government. Back in um, uh, 2013, uh, DOD required um, a, a series of controls from NIST 800-53, which is a very thick printed document. It's like 400 pages, and those were required to be implemented. There was pushback on that. And so in uh, 2016, uh, NIST 800-171 was authored, and uh, that is um, the, it's controlling, it's um, securing controlled and classified information uh, in organizations. So non-governmental systems, non-federal systems. This is um, a series of 110 controls, or we could call them standards, that are required to be implemented. The requirement to implement them was by December 31st of 2017. And a lot of people got this information and didn't know exactly what to do. So they didn't do anything or they tried and it was hard. And so they stopped or they didn't even know that this applied to them. There were a lot of contractors back then that I talked to that didn't even realize that this was a requirement because their contracting officers um, didn't tell them that this was a requirement or maybe they didn't understand what the DFARS clause meant. And so um, the Department of Defense um, did a bunch of research, talked to, did uh, a lot of contractors and uh, actually performed some assessments themselves. And there was a 100% failure rate of full implementation of these controls and requirements. Wow, that's crazy. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that, that illustrates is a really big problem, yeah. right? They figured, well, there are some things that we're going to have to do in order to make this program effective because um, our secrets, our, our government secrets, especially how we defend our nation, um, are getting leaked out to nation states and to our enemies. What are we going to do? They decided we need a little bit more clarification and accountability in this in this program so that people understand this is what you're supposed to do. This is what's satisfactory. And you know what? Self-attestation is not really working out so well. So we're going to also bring in some accountability. And that's why certain organizations with special kinds of CUI now need to actually get an official assessment from a third party, um, a C3PAO, which is an organization that is um, has been uh, prepped and assessed to, to be able to provide those assessments to the defense industrial base. So did you say C3PAO? Is that something from Star Wars? Yes, it's from Star Wars. No, it's, not. <laughs> Just... <laughs> it's a it's a certified it's a CMMC certified assessors organization. So they, they have to get a third party assessment from these organizations to ensure compliance. 
at certain levels with certain information. So there are three okay. levels in CMMC. At the first level, you have federal contract information. You only have to apply 15 controls. You need to self-attest. So sign off and uh, that uh, you have implemented them. At level two, there is a bifurcation. Look at me with all my fancy words, where they break CUI into two different groups. One that requires an implementation of all 110 controls, but only requires self-attestation. And then one group that um, needs to implement all 110 controls and get that official assessment and certification. And then there's level three. They have... um, an additional 24 controls, um, and they have very special and sensitive information, but it's not classified information. From what I understand, CMMC has been a framework in development, and there's a new, I guess, final ruling that came out in December, like an end of the year filing. Is that correct? So it's um, it was filed as a proposed rule, but there can only be if a, when a rule comes forward. This is like the, the federal rulemaking process is the way that the government makes law without going through our typical congressional lawmaking process that we're all familiar with. So these rules are law. They're federal regulations. They are law. But there has to be a process. If the government's going to make their own laws and our representation is not involved with that, there has to be a mechanism for us to be able to review what they intend to do and comment on it to tell them where they are kind of off on what they're going to do. And they have to take our words and our comments into consideration. CMMC has gone through this rulemaking process and right now we're at the final phase of the rulemaking process. It went it was presented as proposed, which means that we have 60 days to comment on it. I do not recommend commenting things like this is going to be too expensive because They've heard that a ton of times and they have a pat response that they copy paste and it's not really going to get us anywhere. But during this comment period, we can make recommendations and then also remind them of things that they don't really see in practice. They are the federal government. They are not us. And God bless our government, but they live in a different world. So it's important for us to help them understand about the regulations that they're going to impose on us and the the um, intricacies and the impact of that. And just as long as you don't talk about the cost, because they already know it's going to cost money. So this is hundreds of pages of rulemaking that's been proposed. Are there organizations out there that are reviewing this? Because, you know, a, a small business owner that doesn't have time to read and understand hundreds of pages of legalese, you know, what what type of association or organization can they get some information from or who do they you know, who do they work with on at least understanding this and make any feedback that's that's not just Oh, it's going to cost me too much money. Well, the Cyber AB, which is the accreditation body that um, is responsible for the private part of CMMC, they have uh, monthly town halls. I just had a town hall this past week where you can log in for free and be able to get information about um, all the goings on and particularly about this rule. And you can also ask questions. That's probably the best place. Right now, though, um, we have a lot of Uh, different sort of working groups and organizations that are going through the role. I'm a member of two of them. One of them is the um, MSPs for the Support of Critical Infrastructure. And the other one is um, the CMMC Industry Standards Council. And we are going through this. um, And I'm also, I also run an MSP coaching group too, a peer coaching group. 
of other MSPs that do this work so that um, we can all make sure that we're doing the right thing for our clients. And I'm going to tell you why that's so important in a minute. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> so. Yeah. So um, we're, we're actually going through all of this right now at the fine tooth comb and um, not only ingesting that information, but then also determining what's going to be the most valuable for public comment for us to be able to uh, submit so that we can have a, a well-formed rule right now. It is very well-formed. It is very well-written and we have a lot of clarity where we didn't before, but um, especially in the area of um external service providers, that would be your MSP, there are questions that we have. One of the things that the rule does tell us, and that's very, very clear, is that if you are an external service provider for a company that's in the defense industrial base, in other words, if you're an MSP, IT support company, do any of those things, then that provider is required to be at the same level as their customer. So if you um, just have federal contract information and need level one, then you have to make sure that your MSP has gone through their own self-assessment of level one and does a self-attestation that they have implemented all of those controls. If you require a CMMC level two assessment, that means that your MSP also has to go through that same process, implement all 110 controls, and also get a CMMC assessment and certification. So that's uh, that's potentially going to push a number of MSPs out of out of these providers, or they're going to have to implement these better controls in place. And hopefully the MSP is doing some of this stuff already. It's just more going through and ensuring that that's in, they're in compliance with all of them. Is, is that kind of the process for an MSP to go through? Nathan, I know hundreds of MSPs all around the world, and I can tell you um, that a lot of them don't do the things inside of these controls. I know that a lot of, and and frankly, I think a, a lot of the U.S. businesses, if they recognize the questions they should ask, they would probably be scandalized at the services that they are not receiving and the state of um, some of the MSPs that uh, are serving them. And that's by far not everybody, but Many of them do like it's sort of like the cobbler's children has no shoes, right? So like, oh, you guys need to do this. It's a best practice. But in here, we've not taken the time to actually implement those things, whether it's because they don't think it's important for their organization or whether they just don't take the time and energy and cost to do it. So this is going to cause ripples. Those of us that serve the defense industrial base will be the first MSPs who are federally regulated. So what kind of, just give an example of some things that you see, you know, you, you mentioned you were in an MSP peer group that, you know, that it's focused on this. So what kind of things are an average MSP missing that need to happen to be CMMC certified? Even level one. Um, well, level one, I think most of them are doing, hopefully at least. But um, <laughs> uh, I would say things like um, not having an MFA requirement to log on to their computers, um, not locking down um, like uh, external connections properly um, with um, with MFA. There's also a requirement that um, the remote access that you have into environments, into your client environments uses a FIPS validated cryptography algorithm. And um, there are a lot of tools that we use that, that don't do that. Um, there are also, um, because of that 
that remote monitoring and management tool that we use where we have agents on everybody's computers and we can remote in there really fast. And it does a lot of stuff in the background, cleans up the computer, allows us to you know manage it remotely. It's a powerful tool, but it poses a really great risk to businesses. So yeah, there was um, a big uh, a uh, provider the- a couple of years ago, Kaseya, that got hacked. And there was a lot of the customers that got penetrated. Their networks got penetrated because of that tool. So it is a it is a concern for our industry. These tools can be utilized as weapons. Yes. Um, and even internally, when you when we don't think about insider threat enough, we just want to trust our people, just like our clients. We tell them, you can't just trust your people. You have to put certain things in place because you never know when somebody will do something either on purpose or by accident to hurt your organization. And a lot of MSPs don't think about that with their tech support people, with their engineers. We have the power to press a button and blow up dozens of networks, you know, I mean, like we really have that capability. Some of those tools are not really built with a lot of security already built into them. And that's concerning and problematic. Uh, certainly. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time for our industry of, you know, getting getting our ships in order uh, to ensure that our clients are protected also. Um, mm-hmm. So talk about implementation period. So this new rule, proposed rule has been published. There's a 60 day comment period. Um, I've seen regulations take a lot longer to get implemented even after the comment period is closed. What is kind of the proposed timeline at this point? Do we know for this new implementation? Yeah. So we expect the final, the rule to be final in about November of this year. Um, and um, th- that would be on the timeline that we've been seeing with uh, DOD in the past for this kind of rulemaking process. We don't expect there to be major changes after this comment period, but we do expect is some additional clarification. And some people have said, you know, oh, well, it's not it's not final. So I'm, I'm not going to take all the action yet because I don't really know exactly what's going to happen. We know, we've known now for six years, seven years, that you need to implement the 800-171 controls. That's in contracts already. That's already a requirement. If you haven't been doing that, then in my opinion, you're nuts because it takes a long time to be able to align your entire organization to that and be able to have the documentation that's required to to show that you're actually doing that stuff. Um, so now is the time to, you know, if you haven't been working on your program, it's time to dust it off and start trying to get a, a plan in place to be ready um, by the end of this year. Um, and uh, if you have already been working on your program, uh, it's a really good time to review everything that you're doing and do that yearly security assessment. So one of the controls is to do, um, it says periodic security assessment. And that means you have to do it at least one time a year. And what that control says to do is to assess like basically the satisfactory implementation of all those controls. It's a really great time to do that. Take a deep dive into every single one of them. Look at your environment, look at your documentation, make sure it's all up to date. Now, after the rule goes final, um, sometime between like November, December of this year, then they expect the CMMC clause to start appearing in in contracts about 60 days later there will be a phased period because we already know that it can't just appear in all the contracts because nobody has certification. (laughs) So um, it can't just like, then no one can do the work. Um, So there's going to be a phased rollout period 
where they select certain contracts first, where it's a requirement. Our C3PO's and assessors get out there um, and they see lots of different implementations. They get better at this. Um, there will be more. It gives time for more assessors to be trained, so we have a um, you know a big enough workforce to be able to actually do all these assessments. Um, and then, but eventually, it will be rolled out to um, the all of the defense industrial. So it sounds to me like this year, 2024, is the time to get prepared. Um, and 25 is when we have to have those certifications if you're a DOD contractor. I would be prepared for certification in 2025, yes. And, and it's no small task. It's good that we have a year. It's like really good that you have the time and there is no time to waste. So if uh, if somebody is a defense contractor or, and this is DOD contractor and maybe even subcontractors of contractors, so anybody related to that that has the, the contracts um, would need to get certified. So how do they get in touch with you? How do they find out more information on uh, moving forward with a with a certification or, or at least finding out what they need to do? Well, if you don't love talking about CMMC as much as I do, then um, you can uh, definitely give me a ring because uh, I can fill you in on anything CMMC. Uh, you can catch me um, through my website, complianceit.io. Uh, my handle on LinkedIn is slash Princess Leia. How about that? I got, I got in early, so I got a cool handle. And uh, uh, I can also, my uh, email address is leia at complianceit.io as well. Um, and uh, we do help organizations. We have, um, we've authored a uh template package of how to implement and maintain a CMMC compliance program. And so we've got that to help organizations. We also help them with compliant help desk and compliant infrastructure solutions. And if you already have an MSP, but you just want um, a second pair of eyes on your implementation, then we will also do with um, a, a third party gap assessment to see if there's anything that's missing to assure that you're ready to actually uh, get your official CMMC certification. And I think you have a, a podcast also, or you do some some media to talk about this, this area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm also uh, on uh, YouTube at Dib Tech Talks as well. Well, Leah, I really appreciate the time. It's a it's a lot of information. I'm sure you know a lot of our listeners are overwhelmed um, by the acronyms and and the process to implement this. But um, knowing that there's experts out there that can help them, like you, I think really. Um, you know, should give some assurance that there's a path forward to make sure that you're complying in your organization and continue on receiving those federal contracts. I think that's the most important thing that owners are thinking about, but also that they're maintaining that information secure and safe so that, uh, you know, our, our federal government, especially our our defense department is, is secure and we can protect our country. So. Thanks, Leah, especially for your time. And uh, we'll put some links um, down below uh, so that you can get in contact with you. Thank you, Nathan. And have a great day, everybody. And thanks for listening to Stimulus Tech Talk. <laughs>